So right. all of this to suggest, here's sort of the, the theme of today's show that I think is interesting. Who wants to be a billionaire? Like, what does it take? So, so we're going to spend a little time today unpacking some of the concepts here. It's a bigger picture than you realize. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does a billionaire's life look like? Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not the same as your life or my life. It doesn't make it better. And remarkably enough, there's a lot of billionaires that still figure out ways to be miserable. Sure. Right. So the money maybe keeps you from not having the stuff that would otherwise lead to happiness. Right. If you're broke, it's really hard to be happy. It just is. But more doesn't necessarily make you happy. And it certainly doesn't bring you joy. So we know those theoretical conversations. Okay. But let's talk practically speaking. How does one become a billionaire? Well, there's one easy way, right? You just <laughs> inherit everything. Yeah. And yeah, pick your parents well. Yeah. There's one option. Mm -hmm. Option two is some kind of exotic lottery winnings. Mm hmm. Or you have an idea that no one else had, and you are able to actually miraculously make that idea a reality. I mean, those are your Jeff Bezos, right? Like, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about unicorn wealth. Okay. okay. First generation explosive wealth and how that's created. The reason I want to talk about this a little bit is because, one, I think there's a tremendous misunderstanding out there of how this wealth gets created. And then I think there's some misunderstandings about how it gets accessed because everybody thinks, well, we just need a billionaire tax. And you go, yeah, but the way we're currently taxing, you're not going to get there. I'm really not advocating for billionaire taxes, just so we're clear. But I think it would be wise of all of us to learn a little bit about how this system operates so that mm. we can navigate it better. And what better way to discuss that than when you got a billion-dollar lottery out there talking a little bit about what the billionaire looks like and how billionaires are built. And maybe you don't become a billionaire, but what about good habits that could still make you a millionaire or multimillionaire? Okay? I like this. This that is, is going to be a good show. It's a super reachable thing. What I'm here to tell you is becoming a millionaire is exceedingly possible. And it's a lot easier than it yeah. was and in 10 fact, years ago. Probable because mm -hmm. the million dollars buys a lot less than it used to. So that's right. no longer, I would say, if you're trying to set your sights on like what's a hard number to achieve, now it's probably the 10 millionaire, right? Hitting eight figure net worth. Now we're getting into that's a harder one to pull, but hitting seven figures, now that's not nearly as tough as it used to be. But let's unpack this. How do we build billionaires? You know how? First, you, you got to start by taking obscene profit breaks for our break for our uh, our station here so we're gonna do that and when we come back then we're gonna start unpacking how you become a billionaire stick around this is Dave little John and Matt Dixon and you got true wealth on news radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. all right gang welcome back to the true wealth radio show Dave little John in studio with Matt Dixon Matt, if yes. they are just getting caught up, what's the show and how do they figure it out? This is the True Wealth radio show, and you can catch the rerun tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com. Yeah. It's not really a rerun. Yeah. It's more of like a podcast that's going to get uploaded. Yeah, so. we'll drop the podcast rerun. Uh, that's a fun one. Um, so, yeah, you, you can catch the, the rebroadcast. I don't know. The recording's going to be available tomorrow. There we go. And we're talking today about how billionaires get built. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... 
we already kind of flirted around this idea in the last segment about you could inherit well, but it's tough to pick your parents, right? You could Photoshop some zeros at the end of yeah, your yeah, bank account. <laughs> you can, I guess, con somebody. That's actually it's pretty hard to con a billion dollars, and they usually find you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's hard to hide a billion dollars. You exactly. get a lot of eyes on you with that much money. You could win a lottery. Mm-hmm. But even then, winning the billion-dollar lottery, as we've talked about, by the time you factor in the haircut you'll take for getting a lump sum, which is typically the best financial deal, is to take control and make your own investments. Um, not necessarily have to be that way, but typically. But then you pay taxes, and you're left with a lot less. You may probably end up with between a quarter and a third of the amount that the lottery actually says by the time you pay all your taxes and so forth on those numbers. So... That leaves you uh, with the old-fashioned way of figuring Create out how to make it. it. Yeah. Okay. Now, I will stay. Right. I think making a billion dollars—that's pretty hard because you really are. Uh, th- there's a term in finance now called a uh, unicorn. Mm-hmm. Right. It's this super rare kind of. Uh, it's it's like like the unicorn's mythical, right? But. The idea that there are certain times when so many stars have everything to just happens perfectly mm-hmm. and it creates this explosive growth. There's the, you know the slow way to a billion dollars is like the way a lot of companies started with and they exist for decades and they just keep kind of steadily building and they <laughs> the government keeps diluting dollars and you know they keep you know eventually you get there through compounding and just sort of navigating the financial system and surviving long enough. Mm-hmm. But what happens with first generation wealth, right? The it's often that, you know spent in it, the next two generations. Yeah, they but it's lose created it. in the first generation. I'm it not is. talking about yeah. how people ruin it, because the people that create it generally don't blow it, right? The right. family does in the next generation, right? Like Elon Musk is worth like what over two hundred billion now or something. It's depending some crazy on the day. number, yeah. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like over ninety billion, mm-hmm. at least at one point, maybe a little, but I mean. It, Big numbers, staggering numbers. What's really crazy to think about is watching Meta's stock price move. He mm-hmm. lost, I mean, they w- kept talking about it. You know, he's lost billions and billions and billions. And then in the last six months, the stock prices ran mm-hmm. way back up. And now he's worth, you know, multiple billions more right. than he was. Same story about ago. Jeff Bezos uh, when he, well, first, one of the things that Jeff Bezos did to knock him off the world's richest man platform is he got a divorce. Mm, that right. one will cost you. And so his his ex-wife, Mackenzie, got a big chunk of Amazon at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, first generation, meaning these were folks that didn't come from wealth, right? created something, and it went viral. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so that's the, the key to these unicorn companies is billionaires are built by through either one of two things, right? Scarcity or leverage. Yeah, did they have an idea that someone else didn't have? And were they able to exploit that and make it work? Yeah, and so Facebook is the leverage scenario, right? And they they changed the name to Meta, but we still refer to it as Facebook all the time because that's what everybody knows. But Facebook, I think they also own Instagram and other platforms, Mm -hmm. right? So they have billions of users. You know, if you get $1 from a billion users... You have a billion dollars. Right. And it's not hard to. <laughs> right? yeah. And that $1 isn't that significant, relatively speaking. Now, a lot of people don't 
pay anything to use that service. But we've said this before, right? If you're not paying for the product, it's because you are the product. Mm-hmm. And advertisers are, they're mining data and they're figuring out who you are and what appeals to you. And then they're putting that data in front of and advertisers to sell them your eyeballs. Well, and it's become you know, more and more of a deal because think back to what Facebook used to be, right? Mm-hmm. There weren't advertisements. Mm-hmm. It was just a way to post pictures and talk with your friends. And that's not what it is anymore. Well, it is a huge advertising platform where you go on there and there's something to buy mm-hmm. or there's a way to advertise your product or your business is listed there. And so it's really become a hub of sharing news. That's sure. I think I think they said that most people today, like 70% of people or something, go to Facebook to get their news articles. It's not, you know, tuning into the television anymore. Mm-hmm. So now it's a news conglomerate. It's sales. It's nothing what it first resembled, you know, 10 right. years ago. So how did that happen? He, well, first, you know, they got the audience. That was the main piece. Exactly. They actually burned through money mm-hmm. before they ever earned any. Right. Spent, they had they they convinced other people. They they formed. They had an idea. They built some working enough concept to then pitch this to investors. Right. That said, we will give you money and back this enterprise to start building. And so they gave them the money to do it, and they spent money before they earned it. Mm-hmm. This happened with Tesla, by the way. Same story. Tesla was had some seed capital and then a bunch of investor dollars and it took them a long time before that company was profitable. I think you just brought up a really good point. These billion dollar companies were created with patience. Like if you want to be a billionaire, that's the show, right? Like how do you get yeah, there? You have to patience. be Yeah, you have to be patient in the beginning because you might have to delay that gratification. Well, you also have to be networked. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So you have to have something that can scale big. Remember, if it can't scale big, then it has to be something super niche that you can make tons of money in. Mm-hmm. Right? Like where profit margins are just astronomical. Right. Like yeah. you build airplanes. Okay. So Gulfstream, which I actually think is, uh, I don't know if Gulfstream's under Raytheon or something like that. But, it's either Raytheon or Lockheed. But you know, you look at that and go. Well, that's a defense contractor. That doesn't count, okay? But if you think about uh, certain companies that may build a specialty, super high-end product, Ferrari, mm-hmm. okay? So they, if you go hand-build cars and sell them for $3 million a piece. You don't have to sell as you many. You don't have to sell a lot of them to make a bunch of money, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you're making a million dollars per car where Ford has to make, f- I don't know, $4,000 yeah. per car. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you're like, you got to sell a lot more cars if you're Ford than if you're Ferrari. Right. Okay. So that whole idea of scale, and then can can you get capital? the The crazy thing is like you don't have to necessarily be the one that has the capital, but you need access to it. So now you can see why these are unicorns, right? First, you got to have a great idea. You got to be able to protect it. You got to be able to execute on it, and then you got to be able to fund it. Right. So you have to have a lot of investors really believing in what you're mm-hmm. doing. So you have to, it's yeah. a popularity contest. It is. And this is also why it happens in certain areas of the country more frequently than elsewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Why does so much happen in Silicon Valley? 
Because there's a lot of people there with a lot of money. Because that's where the investors know to go. Right. Right. That's the spot. It's the hub, right, for the activity. It's not that there aren't great ideas everywhere. But it's going to be a lot harder to find the investors in rural Arkansas. Getting to the sources of capital, right? The sources of capital, are they aggregate in certain areas. And so the probability of getting noticed is probably higher. Again, you don't have to be. There are places that are they're not in Silicon Valley, right? That they, heaven's sake, Warren Buffett's in Omaha. Now, mm-hmm. he's a different story. Billionaire by doing what? Lifetime of consistent compounding. That's true. That's a total deferred gratification story. Warren Buffett, very different than unicorn building. Both get to the billionaire mark. Right? Is there anyone else that you'd kind of lump in that Warren Buffett like arena where it was slow and steady and just like a kind of a calculated set of rules where they're they're really moving in a fashion where it's like I mean Warren Buffett was value right he's always looking for a value mm-hmm. company is there anyone that you kind of can think of off the top of your head where you would kind of compare or is he just like a unicorn in his own realm it's hard because he's a representative of an industry mm-hmm. right and his industry is investing that's true so he's iconic as somebody in the investment industry itself. Mm-hmm. There are other billionaires in the investment world. Uh, I'm going to take a guess that probably like Ken Fisher, mm-hmm. right? You know, they manage a whole bunch and he may have a billion dollar net worth if you consider ownership in the company. And right. What the, whether or not it's liquid is a whole different story, right? You get really into the complexity of, you know, being liquid is different than having a net worth. That's really dollars. true. Okay, and and we'll 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 cover that more on this show here in a little bit. But Buffett's this niche guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you can think of other areas like in in telecom. There was what like Carlos Slim down in um, Latin America that was huge telecom guy. Now ended up being kind of shady and <laughs> you know, other issues happened there. But um, you know, there's a a famous name for you, um, and I. You can talk about, look at Michael Jordan. You right. Know, niche in sports entertainment and merchandise. Mm-hmm. Jordan's a billionaire. And I think we have yeah. to give a lot of that credit to his parents, right? Where he was the first athlete to yeah. be able to go in on a shoe contract and say, yeah. I'm going to get royalties, right? So he did something that no one else had ever done. Right. Now a billionaire. Right. And well, also a good at, businessman, too. And consider the connection to that, right? That's riding the coattails of another billionaire, mm-hmm. Phil Knight. Right. Who is somebody that built a company that isn't the classic unicorn company, but here's a man that spent 60 years building a company into a Fortune 50 company. Mm-hmm. I think it's Fortune 50. It's probably Fortune 100 anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's easily in the top 500. Right. Oh, yeah. Easily, right? Yeah. You know, so Nike's a huge household name. And it is probably the number one brand in sports apparel in the world. Right. And they wouldn't be that way right. if it wasn't for Jordan. And it started in Phil Knight's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Right. It was built in one lifetime. It's first generation wealth. It's not old money. Right. Okay. That That's where I think it's important for us to remember that like, the American dream is not dead. It is getting more complicated and it's under fire in a culture war. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there is a culture war of people that seem to believe that it's no longer accessible or that there's too many other things in the way. And so let's change the culture. OK, I disagree with these people. I do, too. Right. 
Like, I'll just straight up say it straight to the camera. No, I'm not into the concept of socialism. I think it encourages social loafing. It means that the people that won't chip in get a free ride, and I'm not cool with that. So if that's you, pound sand. I love I the social play. loafing visual. I just imagine meatloaf somehow, like a yeah. social meatloaf, social loaf. Just imagine the person <laughs> sitting on the couch watching everybody else work, and then when it's time to eat, they show up and be like, I want to eat too. And you're mm-hmm. like, dude, you should have pitched in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's different than the person that's not able to pitch in. Loafing is our real pandemic right now. It is. Oh, man. Oh, we're not going to talk about this one, but I heard a new term. It just drove me nuts. Bed rot. Bed rot. Yes. It's where you just sit around in bed until you rot. Or, Pretty much. Yeah. You sit in bed, stare at your phone and watch Netflix and kind of off and on napping. And and like, that's a thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, if it's happening enough that we've named it, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. I just went, ugh. Did, right? did you puke in your mouth a little bit? I know. I kind of did. It's like, oh, it's not just reflux. <laughs> so not good. Oh, man. Um, I just want to encourage everybody out there for a moment, right? First of all, uh, if you are trying to like ride the coattails of everybody else, thinking that's your your way to fortune, false. Okay, but don't give up on the idea that the American dream is impossible. It's absolutely possible. But now, the billionaire dream that takes a lot of things going right. You know, you got to get hit by lightning several times. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the good way. <laughs> but what about become maybe not setting our goals to a billion what's it take to get to say that 10 million figure i think it's worth investigating oh yeah i think it's very doable so what do you say we do that but first we take our next insane profit break okay all right we're doing that when we come back let's figure out how to build some millionaires stick around this is dave littlejohn and matt dixon got true wealth on news radio 93.9 fm and 1240 kqen All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where if you are just joining us, boy, are you behind. Mm-hmm. But we're glad you're here. Get caught up on the podcast. You can go to the website tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com. Go to the Knowledge Center. You can grab it there. But Matt, what yes. are we talking about today? Well, first we talked about ways that billionaires are created. Uh-huh. And then we're like, you know what? Let's drop the bar just a little bit because we can't all aspire to be billionaires. Yeah. Expire all you want, but like so much has to go right to get to a billion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like it may ruin your life to do that because you have to be so singularly focused. You probably skip a lot of the things that we would call true wealth. So where should we set the bar? How about 10 to 5 million? That's about ba- 10 to 5? 5 to 10. 5 to t- Okay, 5 to 10. We can go with that. Yeah. I think this is super achievable, by the way. I do, too, because, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. I had a meeting with someone uh, a couple days ago, and we looked and we said, hey, let's let's just pull up a general investment calculator. You're young, right? And this person's like 18, 20, mm-hmm. 21 years old, somewhere in that range. And they obviously want to have a good future for themselves. So we went over some basics, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Start contributing to your retirement early, like right now. Yeah. Um, this person has the advantage of not having a lot of bills at the moment, right? Right. Low cost of living. Yeah. And the expenditures are low. They're making a decent salary. And so we looked at what if you only start with $100 a month? Okay. Mm-hmm. So throw $100 a month in there. What if you were able to get a 10% return and retire at 67 
and it was over a million dollars right there on a hundred dollars a month and i think the amount that that adds up to contributing to over the course of that time was like I don't know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it's like if you can put one hundred and fifty thousand in over the course of your life, which he's going to be able to do more than that. We were like way low um, on how much, you know, we're estimating the contributions to be. Boom, you're a millionaire. And then we bumped it up and I said, well, what if you put in five hundred dollars a month and get a 10 percent return over that same period of time? And now it turns into like five million dollars. Okay, boom. There we go. Start early, contribute yeah. four or five hundred dollars a so month, and boom. This, by the way, I mean, I'm just gonna call it out. This is the most s- typical sales pitch you're gonna get from a financial firm ever. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the historic rate of return of the stock market, it's gonna range somewhere between ten and twelve percent if you're in growthy stocks. Right. Okay. Depending on the period of time that you measure it and so forth. But if you look over like a lifespan. It's going to average somewhere around there, around 10%. Some people are going to say, well, it's eight, or what about inflation, or this side or the other? Sure. Okay, there are factors in there, but about a 10% ish ballpark sometimes has been higher than that. Sometimes it's been lower. But if you look at that and then you apply the rule of 72 for really swag math, divide 72 by 10. It takes about 7.2 years to double your money. Let's keep it easy about seven years. Mm-hmm. So if you double your money every seven years, look at your age and how many times can I double it? And right. That's that's the the game that gets played in finance. So it's like we'll put money in every month, and then that money over seven years, it will start doubling. The reason why everyone isn't a millionaire is some people don't have the discipline, right? They want to spend money instead of right, save it. Remember that the people that are like poor people. Does this go save back to what's the left. bed rot? Does this go back to <laughs> your term? Poor people save what's left. Rich people spend what's left they invest mm. first and then spend instead of spend first and then invest right it's a matter of prioritization and deferred gratification right okay and it, it so that's the really simple one there are other ways to do this okay uh there's a million ways that you're going to find this if you go online right now there's everybody's got a formula okay here's how you become a bazillionaire okay the tried and true easy peasy way for the folks that are not entrepreneurs and just want to kind of take the safe build it over a lifetime is just start saving early and often start a retirement plan mm-hmm. okay this isn't rocket science advice and there's no fiduciary danger in me saying i encourage you to start a retirement plan because typically speaking it's going to position you better for taxes and it's going to get you saving okay those are both things that don't mess you up right all right i don't care who you are like it's it's not gonna mess you up to do that so those are low-hanging fruit pieces of advice but we want to talk about how do we get to five to ten million right mm-hmm. One of the things is become more valuable as an employee or make yeah. your business more valuable if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, because the reality is where are you going to spend most of your time? Right. It's at your job, right? And if that's how you're making your money, that's where you got to go get it. Mm-hmm. That's so, where you're spending your time. And if you have a job, consider what is the role that you are playing for the organization. Mm-hmm. This is, a, this is a hard thing, but if you can get this mental shift, it's pretty huge. And that is what you are not there to do the job you're exclusively. The, you're there to add value. Right. And you are there to sell your skill set. Mm-hmm. So when a company says, this is the job description, you're saying, I'll trade my time and I can do that for you. Right. But if you want the company to reward you, reward you with more, you need to be able to offer them more value than the job they defined. Mm-hmm. Which is why workers that 
outperform their peers get the offer for more. Okay? Now, some jobs you have to consider that there's not upside potential. Okay? That is a huge one that a lot of people blindly turn an eye to, right? Yeah. It frustrates people, but like if we'll, we'll pick on if you go to ABC fast food restaurant and you are managing the food line, that is a pretty interchangeable job for other people. You can be the very best burger or taco or whatever maker there is, but somebody else that's half as good as you is still good enough to do the job. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have to pay you a bunch more for that. You need to find other ways to add value, which is why people transition into management and leadership and so forth. So, or they transition into industries that have the ability to add more value. So you have to look at yourself as I'm selling my value set, right? Or I'm trading my value set. Mm -hmm. That's a different employee mindset for a lot of people. It is. But you make that mindset shift and you start to see how, you know, I gag a little bit every time a company tries to tell me, well, you have to pay me because of the value we deliver. Like I gag a little bit. Because, because the value is your determination, not theirs, right? Because if you find the value. Then you pay for it. Then you pay for it. Right. But they can't ramrod that down your throat and say, we're worth more. Well, wait a minute. I yeah. determine that as the uh, consumer. It bothers me every time. I mean, there have been times where, now, did it work? Because it's like in my life, like I have a software subscription and they come along and say, we're going to raise the price on you. And I go, well, the pain of changing is too high, so I'll stay. And they can interpret that as, well, then we provide enough value. Or what really is happening in this case is you didn't provide any more value to me, but the pain of going somewhere else and competing for all the other things that are valuable to me, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with it. And so what you've done is you've exploited my lack of bandwidth, but that won't be permanent because you no longer have a loyal customer. What you have is a, a hostage until somebody is willing to call you. This isn't a great example of it, but I feel like insurance companies kind of do this, right? Like you go get a rate quote and they come in with this phenomenal price and you're like, oh, that's less than I'm paying now. And so you switch and you go there. And then six months later, you're like, man, my rates have gone up, but I'm okay. I'll just stick here a little bit longer. And then they just keep bumping it up and up and up. Right. And then some people just never change yeah. because they don't want the inconvenience of it. Right. And insurance is a unique circumstance because people that you can chase rate mm -hmm. and it works. The issue with chasing rate is that insurance companies will always have that happen because everybody that wants to save money goes somewhere else. And then the claims experience goes up because they piled a bunch of new customers in. Mm -hmm. And when the claims experience goes up, they have to increase the price to pay for the claims. And so the price changes. And then what happens is the companies that people left have lower claims experience. And, and then, then their pricing they, is so, lower, so yeah. The, so the herd moves around, and it's usually the folks that have the premium dings are the ones that had claims experience. And so they're a higher risk group. Mm -hmm. So you can just see how the risk moves around in the system. Right. Okay. And that's, yeah, that is kind of a scenario. You're not wrong. Yeah. Right? And so there, there's some studies about, like, how you get raises faster. And it's to move from company to company. I'm not really advising that because it destabilizes. But if you think that, you know, you're sitting with a company forever and you have an opportunity to go somewhere else that's a better offer, you should legitimately consider that if it's a cultural fit for you. Because, one, it gives you leverage with your existing company mm -hmm. and because two, 
you can get a raise, right? right. And then if the, if where you're at can't match it, then that's a better circumstance. You do have to look at the whole package. You know, what if the company's in unstable? They're overpaying. They can't sustain it, and they're gone. Those are all risks that you have to calculate. Mm-hmm. But still, you're selling your value to the organization, and they're going to pay you for it, and you're making a trade. Okay? This is, by the way, it's kind of different than union organizations, where the union defines what your production will be and the rules of engagement, and then you need to play by those rules. Different right. atmosphere. It's predictable. Like You know what you get in a union. But you can't you cap, really deliver more value. You're capping you cap, Yeah, you're capping your upside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue here. So you may get a great benefit package, and if you just do the math and say, as long as I follow the path, it'll get me to where I want financially. Okay. Then fine. Yeah, then that's it good. Works, mm -hmm. Right? Because you are willing to make that trade. It's going to get you on a path that gets you where you're going. But is it going to make you the millionaire? Right? That's the and question the that we're is really... It depends. Yeah, right? it, depends it can. Because... Because there's still upside in some organizations, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and this is all, a simple example would be like in education. You oftentimes have to leave the educator's desk and go into the administrator's desk to move yep. up the ladder. Right. Not everybody wants to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point you make a decision that I'm not willing to make that change. Okay. Then you're accepting the trade. Right. Okay. And what I would say is it while I can't tell you to not be bitter, I would say it's not very justifiable to be bitter when you've agreed to accept the trade. This is and one of the reasons why I left teaching, yeah. right? Like the kids were awesome, but I wasn't willing to accept that trade any longer. Right. It's just, it's not, there's not enough meat on the bone for some people. Right. Yeah. It is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So look, we got a few more minutes and we're starting to really get into the, the how you get this stuff done. I want to give people some like really direct impactful things to consider as investors and as entrepreneurs to start to put yourself on the path to increasing your net worth. But we got to take our last break. Oh man, it's already there. Yeah, but no, we're there. So we'll do that. When we come back, we're going to get into like real nuts and bolts stuff, but we got to we gotta take our last break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Yeah, True Wealth. On News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show where we have so much stuff. I am only going to plug the podcast this one time. Go to our website at littlejohnfs.com and you can get caught up. Matt, we're talking yep. about building millionaires, five right. to 10 million net worth today mm -hmm. um, or higher. Sure. And uh, in the last few minutes, I want to share with our listeners ideas like how do you do it? Mm -hmm. Right. And not just the, well, you can invest over a lifetime. Right. Right. If you're on a, you know, hey, you're somewhere in your late 40s, 50s, and you're like, I want to play catch up here. What do I do? Is this where you start talking about some leverage? I think you have you to. got to pull some levers. So if there's two ways that you can become more valuable, right? Mm -hmm. Scarcity or leverage. Scarcity is that theory that you're the only one that can do what you do, so you get paid for it. Sure. Leverage is getting help from other people. Okay. Yep. That's the with Facebook, get a billion of your closest friends and get them all to pay a little bit of money to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. With entrepreneurship, it is I have a business that I can increase the profitability of the business. And so investment in the business can grow faster than the rate of investment or the rate of return somewhere else. Right. If you can only grow your business at 6% and you can grow your investment wealth at 12%, uh, it, the business doesn't look like a great investment. 
Now, maybe it's okay if the business is gigantic, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's a billion dollars. 6% of a billion dollars is still a lot of money. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. So you got you to gotta leverage some of these things up. Here's where people create wealth quick. Okay. They use other people's money too. We see that in a lot of different ways, right? They do. Yeah, I mean, you could start your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, you could buy real estate. Yeah, all that's, those. That's are... the most common one, mm-hmm. uh, and there are lots of creative ways to get into it. Uh, but think of it this way: you need to control a larger block of money. That's what leverage allows you to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can use leverage in the stock market too. By the way, I'm not advocating you do this. I'm saying this is how it works, though, right? If I have $10,000 and I go invest it, and that $10,000 doubles, you right? only I have, have $20,000. $20, I made $10,000. But if I have $10,000 and I can control a $50,000 block of money, and I make 20% on it, I made the same money. Mm-hmm. I made another $10,000. It's the same absolute dollars in my pocket. One of them I had to double, one of them I had to earn 20%. So this is why if you can control a block of real estate right. for a, yeah, for a you... down payment and you can get somebody else to make the payments for you, that real estate appreciates as an asset while somebody else pays for it, and that leverage works to your advantage, mm-hmm. provided the real estate increases in value. And that's not a guarantee, contrary to what a lot of people will tell you. Absolutely. I've seen that is it not all a over guarantee. the place. We have seen it blow people up because mm-hmm. leverage cuts both ways. It does. You know, if, it, if you're making money, leverage looks awesome. <laughs> but when you're losing money, boy, does it accelerate the pain. Mm-hmm. But that's the issue at play here is that's the risk and reward. Yeah. Right? I mean, there are ways to structure rapid growth. Okay. Uh, you can, and again, if you know how to flip things, you've heard the, the, the flipping real estate. Hey, we bought a house that was distressed, fixed it up. We were able to turn around and sell it. That can increase your, your value quickly. You have to value your labor in there too. A lot you of people really don't. do because I mean, I've been working on my house for three years mm-hmm. and now it's finally, you know, basically done, but that's a long time. That's a lot of investment. But here's the thing about your residence versus buying flipping real Mm -hmm. estate that's not residence you get a good tax like you get capital gains protection from your residence right you live in it for two years current law says you're you're not going to pay capital gains tax it's different if you're buying it as an investment yeah now it's just an investment and the Mm -hmm. gains get taxed so it looks and feels different okay right the, the bottom line is that most successful investors that develop seven figure net worths have a combination of assets Right? Mm-hmm. They have real estate. They have investments in retirement plans and so forth. They oftentimes own businesses. Right, So it's a multiple sources and streams of income. That's really how you start to develop wealth at a, at, at a sort of a mainstream level instead of a Wall Street level. Right. Billion-dollar net worths are different. Okay, But trying to hit that 5 to $10 million range, absolutely doable. And you know the thing is, you don't end up living like... Uh, a music video, right? It's still Mm-mm. a pretty normal pedestrian looking life. You might have a, an okay car and so forth, but it's not, you're not going to make it rain. <laughs> it's not how that works. You make good decisions and it's going to be a lot more boring than you'd think. It's kind of like a turtle race, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, and it's not just slow and steady. It's it's consistency and being smart, right? It's recognizing opportunities because oftentimes the opportunity occurs quickly, but you have to be very patient for it to occur. Like fishing, right? You can wait a long time and then it gets really exciting for a minute. Mm-hmm. So that's it. All right, look, Matt, as we get to the final minutes of the show here, how do people reach us if they want help getting this stuff unwound? Okay, give us a call, 541-375-0898, or shoot us an email, info at littlejohnfs.com. All right, that's it. And so, again, if, if you have not gotten into the planning arena or all the other stuff like that, uh, a lot of this stuff can be laid out. You can roadmap a way to wealth. And then you just start executing on it. Check the boxes and make it happen, and we can help. So, again, go to littlejohnfs.com, but for now, we're out of time. So, until next time, thanks for tuning in. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.